The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Amen. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. See, everything about that hymn focuses on what Jesus did, not what I did, not what you did. And uh, that's the thing that's so wonderful about that. And I'm hearing a hum. Okay. Hey, listen, I, I just got to change the program here for a minute. Because something happened today that was new, and God did it. And I think it's exciting, and I'm going to try not to cry, but I am going to ask if Natalie Hagman, who has not been able to be at church for all the time that I've been here, which is 10 years, Natalie, would you come up and just share a testimony? This is absolutely unrehearsed. This is like unrehearsed, is that right? Yeah. So, praise God, Norm and Natalie, God bless you. I just leaned over and said, would you be willing? And she said she would. Natalie, God bless you. Just share for us. Good morning, everybody. It's just... An incredible pleasure to be here this morning to worship with you. I listen along at home, but uh, this is a whole lot better. <laughs> um, the worship is a whole lot better than me just singing along with my uh, uh, TV ministry uh, <laughs> alone. But, uh, you know, uh, I'm just a sinner saved by God's incredible grace. And I am uh, just so thrilled uh, for this opportunity. And uh, mm. I'm here to say that he, um, when you're, you can't do anything, he is there and he gives, he gives one joy and he uh, gives one hope and uh, strength for each day. Mm. And uh, um, I, I am just... Uh, so thankful for all of you who pray for me. Uh, so some of you, I don't know that many of you, but uh, I thank you so much. Without prayers, I, without God, I am nothing. Um, he just, uh, uh, God is faithful. Uh, he is, he is so faithful, and I am. Um, I rely on him for strength for, for everything. Um, and uh, um, I don't know. I just know that um, for me, being alone so much, I've uh, learned that th- purely through worshiping Him, uh, that is where uh, my joy has come from, and my strength, and uh, and my hope. Mm. And I um, every day, uh, that's what I do, and I. Uh, it's what upholds me, as well as studying his word, which uh, is, I have been blessed with the time to do so, and he is teaching me new things every day. Amen. And uh, I just praise God for all of that, mm-hmm. and, uh, f- and for my incredible husband, <laughs> who, uh, who is uh, a pure gift from God. Mm. And uh, I... I can't say how much he's my rock uh, here on earth, and um, 
my support, and he is uh, the very best man on earth. <laughs> hmm. And uh, right now, I, I think okay. that's all I can say. Let, let us pray for you. Amen. Let's give her a hand. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Father God, we just rejoice in, <clears throat> in your great power and strength and, and faithfulness. Lord, we know that the last uh, 10 years or more has been so painful uh, and difficult for Natalie and Norm, but we thank you for your faithfulness. And this day, as a milestone, as a marker, we give you all the glory and praise, even as she has done in this testimony. And so would you just walk with her and bless her and give her more good days. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you so much for willing to share. Thank you, Norm. God bless you. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5? Galatians chapter 5. Boy, I just walked into church today and... and uh, Norman and Natalie are sitting ahead of me. I couldn't believe my eyes. I was just so rejoicing. Amen. So Galatians chapter 5, and this is kind of the milestone text of this whole passage. Chapter 5, verse 1, is the theme of our Galatians series. And that's why we've called this series in the book of Galatians, Freedom, the True Nature of Religion. And so we're going to be reading this text this morning, uh, verses 1 to 12. And if you're able to stand, uh, stand with me now as I read it to you. Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working itself through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would just emasculate themselves. <laughs> Strange place to end the text. But may God bless his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> I read a story this past week about a little town where all the residents were ducks. Now, I know that we should contextualize and say geese, <clears throat> if you've been looking around our property lately. And in this little town where there were only ducks, every Sunday the ducks would waddle out of their homes and they would waddle down to Main Street, and they would waddle into the church on Main Street, and they would waddle to their favorite pew, and then the choir of that church would waddle in and take their place and, and lead in worship, and then after a little while, the pastor would waddle up to the pulpit, and he would take his place, and he would take a text out of the Duck Bible, and he would preach, and the preaching would sound something like this. It would say, Ducks, 
God has given you wings. Ducks. With wings you can fly. With wings you can soar with the eagles. Ducks. You can jump over fences and walls do not have to stand in your way. Ducks. God has given you wings. And so fly like birds. And at the end of the sermon, the duck preacher would sit down and all of the ducks in the pews would stand and say, Amen! And then they would waddle back home. Yeah. Does that ring a bell? You see, the, I don't mean to be hard on us, but the fact is we could resemble the ducks. We come together and we worship the Lord and we announce incredible, great truth about Jesus Christ and then we waddle back home and live the same way that we came in. I want to talk this morning about freedom in Christ and I'm aware that none of us sitting today here are experiencing the full power of absolute freedom in Christ. It's not that it hasn't been purchased for you. It's not that it hasn't been made available to you. It's that we have not fully entered into all that Jesus Christ has already made available to us and afforded us. And every Sunday, of course, there's the danger that we, we resemble the ducks. I get it. I'm, I'm also a bit of a waddling Christian. I think, In fact, a very waddling Christian myself. So I do not share that story to beat you up. I, I believe, though... I believe, though, that every so often we get a taste of, a little bit of a taste of that freedom in Christ, where faith takes flight, where we find our wings in some area of our lives that has been a failure, where we have struggled, where we have been defeated, where we find bondage. Just every so often in our walk with Jesus, we hit low enough, problem enough, gravity faces enough problems in our lives so that we somehow find a little bit of lift. We find our wings, and in that moment at least, in that brief time, we experience a little bit more of what Jesus Christ died for to secure for us. And we experience a little bit more of freedom in Christ. My prayer is that very thing for this Galatians series, that, that as we go through this book, as we've been going through this book, that all of us will come to somehow a bit more of that experience of freedom in Christ. I'm sure if someone took the time to, to do a study, you would find dozens of songs about freedom. Uh, in the pop culture, they, they look upon freedom differently than the Bible or the Christian culture, however. And um, I was just thinking, for example, recently I noticed that the movie Lion King is being re-released this year, 2019. I remember it well when our children were a little bit younger in 1994, and the original Lion King movie came out, and, and there's one of the songs on that uh, album, or on that soundtrack, that's, that's called Just, Wait, Just Can't Wait to Be King. Put your hand up if you know that song. Just Can't Wait to Be King. Okay, there's a, there's a lot of Lion King followers here. Okay, Just Can't Wait to Be King. And, and that's where the little Lion King cub Simba is, is uh, the son of Mufasa, the Lion King at the present. And he's singing the song with his evil uncle Scar. 
and as it comes to the chorus, it, it, it sounds like this. It sounds like, basically he's saying that the thing I like about wanting to be king one day is that no one's going to tell me what to do anymore, right? And uh, no one's saying, do this. No one's saying, be there. No one's saying, stop that. No one's saying, see here. Free to run around all day. Free to do it. All my way. A couple of you followers have remembered. That's good. Free to do it all my way. And that's the way the pop culture tends to see freedom. Freedom is all about casting off restraint. I get to do it my way. I don't want to be responsible to anybody. Free to do it all my way. Another example is the Tom Petty song released on his 1989 album, Full Moon Fever. The, the album title gives you a little indication of which philosophy of life we're talking about. Full Moon Fever. The song, Free Fallen. Okay, I'm sure you, I've been, it's been in my head all week. Free Fallen. Great guitar on that song, you know, etc. And what is it all about? Well, the story, the song tells a story about a good girl and a bad boy. And the bad boy has a fling with the good girl, and then he drops her. He leaves her hanging. Because that's what bad boys do. They exploit good girls because they love their freedom and they love their independence more than they love a person. And so, the, the, the interesting thing is that he, he, in the song, he discovers that he's actually feeling something for this good girl, and he's somehow sacrificed meaningful connection, but it's too late because he discovers that he's addicted to a life of free-falling. Free-falling. What does free-falling mean? The last line of the fourth verse says, I want to free-fall out into nothing, going to leave this world for a while. Free-falling. In other words, the life that was promising him freedom ended up and turned out to be a life that actually enslaved him, and now all he can do is free fall. But where is he free falling to? That's the point. Where is he free falling to? We all know that millions of people on planet Earth right now are free falling into sin. And even Christians with a wrong understanding of grace that we've been preaching through Galatians can cast off re restraint and fall freely into sin, thinking that they have their fire insurance, thinking that they are eternally secure, thinking that they are saved by grace, that nothing bad can happen to them. And that's why Paul, in the verses immediately following the text that I just read, goes on in verse 13 to say, Friends, you were called to freedom, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge the flesh. That's next week. Paul is going to put a clutch on this thing. He's going to clarify what grace is and what grace isn't. And um, so it's a warning passage. The warning is this, that if what you are free-falling toward, if what you have cast off restraint and gotten indulged in, if you, if you are free-falling toward something that is not Christ-exalting, Christ-honoring, God-glorifying, it will ruin you, and you are being deceived. That's what the message of warning is that Paul gives as he, as he continues this message of grace. I've never skydived. It's, it's probably not even on my bucket list anymore. <laughs> but can you imagine... Just think about it for a minute. Can you imagine going up in an airplane with this little backpack, 
And at 30,000 feet above the Earth's surface, you jump out and you start free falling. It takes you a few seconds to reach what is called terminal velocity. Terminal velocity is what is described when the human body will fall no faster than it is going right now, and that is, guess what, 200 feet per second. 1,001, 2,001, 3,001, 200 feet falling, free falling per second. Now, the average skydiver, if you jump at 30,000 feet, you have up to 60 seconds of free falling. 200 feet per second, 200 feet per second, free falling. And then at a certain point, you better reach back and pull that cord around 5,000 feet above the Earth's surface or you're going to face a rather rude ending. And as soon as that cord is pulled, you go from, from 200 miles per hour, sorry, 120 miles per hour, 120 miles per hour falling to 17 miles per hour with the parachute. And hopefully your legs are strong enough and you can land and it will be a great, great thing. But think about it for a moment. Free falling for 60 seconds of adrenaline pumping, lip flapping, exhilarating free fall. Think about it. I can't think of anything sadder than a professing Christian who is a religious person who has settled for a life of duplicity who has a religious a religiosity about them. They do their religious duties. They go to church. They serve a little bit. They try to live a good life. But in their real self, in their real self, you see what they're free-falling toward. What really floats their boat or turns their crank. Ask anybody around them, and they'll tell you what that person is really passionate about, really excited about. They might be choosing, as a Christian still, a professing Christian, they might be choosing to free fall into free fall sports addiction. Free fall, I want to make as much money as I can addiction. Free fall sex addiction. Free fall drugs and alcohol addiction. Free fall, I want the most comfortable life I can get addiction. You name it. People that are professing Christians can still live the double life and free fall into whatever kind of thing they want to. That really is what they're all about. But they got to keep this religious duty thing on the side. This Christian is characterized by this free fall in this way is one day is going to one day say, oh, I'm getting older now. It's time to open my parachute. It's time to get ready to die. It's time to get ready to leave this world. They're going to reach back and pull that cord of faith that they think has been their security, their blessed assurance, and they're going to find that it opens with holes in it. It's, it's, it's not going to sustain their weight. 
And they're going to continue to free fall to what? Toward the things that their hearts were most passionate about already in this world. You see, heaven starts now, folks, not, not later. And hell starts now, too. The trajectory you're on. If you love all that stuff really, really, really more than Jesus and all the things about God, hey, this is where you're heading, folks. There's no, there's no games about this. There's no, it's not hard to figure out. Read C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce. You, you can have your own interpretation of that allegory, but my conclusion as I read that book is, in the end, what's the message? In the end, everybody gets exactly what they want. That's the scary part. If you want to free fall into something that you're really, really committed to, and yet you want to kind of maintain a facade of Jesus and Christianity, you can do that. But when you pull that cord one day, you might be very, very surprised. Now that sounds like I'm not preaching grace anymore, doesn't it? Uh Uh-uh, I'm preaching grace. What we need to understand is that just because someone professes to be a Christian doesn't mean they possess Christ. There's a lot of deceived people. And instead of really trusting in Jesus and receiving the joy of Jesus because they understand that, that he's canceled their complete load of debt, and then the joy that responds is, and God, I just love you so much. How could I ever give myself to something else? You see, joy in Jesus, understanding grace and unconditional love of God is the best sin killer. Best sin killer. Whatever grips you. Whatever poison you're addicted to. Best sin killer. Not more religiosity, not try harder, not performance orientation. Grace, God's love. Joy response kills sin. And that's what Paul's preaching here. I better get on. Let's move on to the first point. You'll see your insert in your bulletin. The intent of freedom in Christ. Paul says in Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Timothy Keller draws their attention to the fact that both the noun and the verb are the same word, freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. The, the, the noun and the verb, both the means and the end of the Christian life is freedom. It's the true nature of religion. Everything about the Christian gospel is freedom. That's why we've named our series Freedom, the True Nature of Religion. And Paul says that the intent of our freedom is that we would stand firm. Now that is a military term, and it's a command given like a military order. Stand firm, soldier. Doesn't sound like grace all of a sudden. Uh-oh, still grace. The fact is that Jesus Christ has, has brought, bought everything that you need, but if you're not going to stand firm in it, you're not going to experience that freedom in Christ. And so just because freedom in Christ has been bought and paid for does not mean that you and I are automatically going to experience it. We need to stand firm in it. The reality of faith, the abundance of blessing. Instead of living in insecurity, and doubt, and fear, and guilt, and shame, we can live in the freedom of Christ. David Platt says it this way. He says, God has freed you from things to which you are still enslaved. God's already freed you, and you're living in as a slave. He says, you have to work the gospel down deep, like rubbing salt into meat. 
You've got to work the gospel down deep into your living experience if you're going to run the race. And that's, that takes time. I know. It takes time. It takes years. So you might be struggling with a certain sin this morning. It might be the sin of anxiety and fear. It might be the sin of anger or lust. It might be the sin of insecurity that make you judgmental of other people. It takes time to intentionally bring that to God and then see that God has he's already canceled that debt. He's forgiven you of that sin. And it takes time to, to learn to live in that love and respond with that joy that can actually kill the sin. Chop it at the root. But the intent of our freedom is not just that we stand firm. Paul says that we would not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do you know the word again? The believers in the Galatian churches, you see, had already come out of a carnal enslavement to sins, and then they had come to Christ, and then the, the religious teachers, the false teachers from Jerusalem came down, started to lay another yoke upon them. I meant to bring my yoke from my office this morning. You guys have seen it. It's a red yoke. Could someone go get it, please? Just, thanks, Doug. And, um, and, and the, the yoke was the slavery now of a religious nature. Before they knew Christ, they had the sins piled on, and they were enslaved by a worldly nature yoke. And now Paul says, do not again be enslaved with a yoke of religiosity, of performance orientation, of thinking that you can obey God in your own strength somehow, or merit. And so Paul is teaching that this yoke of slavery that says do certain things and live a certain way and you'll have merit favor with God, that, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Now, now yokes come in all shapes and sizes, and here's one right here. Perfect timing, Doug. Thank you. And so this one I got from Kentville, Nova Scotia. When Pat and I were at Acadia University, I was at seminary. And you can tell that it was used for a couple of smaller animals. Two were yoked together. And it's interesting because in the Bible, the word yoke is often used to, to figuratively describe oppression and slavery. It's like you put this thing on your, and you're a slave. You know, that's what a yoke does. And so in Jeremiah chapter 2, for example, it says, God says, for long ago, I broke the yoke of your bonds. Jeremiah 28 says, the Lord, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon over you. God says to Israel, 1 Kings 12, there's a really interesting story. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, is taking over as king. Instead of taking the advice of the elders of the community, he takes the advice of his peers. The community of Israel comes to him and says, Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore, please lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. But Rehoboam rejects that advice, and he says, My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I'm going to add to your yoke. He says, My father... Um, sorry, he says, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. So he's going to add a, a greater yoke. Well, guess what Israel does? Israel says, forget it. And Jeroboam raises up as a leader, and now that's, that's the, the divided kingdom of the history of Israel. That's when it divides. Because this people are saying, we're not going to live under that anymore. 
Jesus takes the yoke imagery in Matthew 11, 28. He says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You can find rest for your souls. That's what Paul's preaching here. The grace of God, the love of God, that frees you up from a performance to try and please him, makes it easy to follow Jesus because he's he's promised you a religion not of duty but of glad obedience, joy. Let's go on to talk about what's the alternative to that. What's the alternative to living in the freedom of Christ? Paul goes on in verses 2 to 4 to talk about the false teachers that were teaching that the Gentile, non-Jewish people had to basically become like Jews in order to become Christians. And they had to be circumcised. Now, do not think of circumcision here in this scripture like little baby boys getting circumcised today. That's nothing to do with it. This is a religious rite of passage that was believed to be a symbol of the covenant with God. And that if you didn't do it, you weren't right with God. And God said, no, I don't, that's done. The new covenant, it is in the blood of Jesus, and you're made right with me through the grace of God. Perhaps a way of understanding this text is every time you read the word circumcision, put in the word religion, and every time you read the word uncircumcision, put in the word non-religious or non-religion. And so for the sake of understanding, that's the best way of of approaching it. And, And Paul is basically saying here, you can't mix the two systems of being made right with God. You can't mix Jesus Christ with a a bit of works. You can't do that. They're they're completely diametrically opposed. And so he says the implications of, of accepting religious circumcision are radical. Paul says, if you do that, Christ is of no advantage to you, verse 2. It's a different system. You can't can't mix them. It it really means he profits you nothing. Jesus does you he's not even part of the same game. So, so he's of no value to you. Secondly, in verse 4, Paul says, you are severed from Christ. Sounds really radical. It's, it simply means that it's rendered inoperative. It's nullified. If you're going to follow the way where you, you try to live up to pleasing God, then you've left Jesus out of the equation. You're severed from Christ. And then finally, the radical words are, you have fallen away from grace. What does it mean? Well, actually, the word was sometimes used of ships that ran aground on a reef. And you, you have fallen, it no longer applies. You're stuck. You've decided you're going to try and live the best life you can, and you think in your deception you're going to please God. And you've just cut Jesus out of the equation. You've cut grace out of the equation. And you're living now by works. Would some people believe and think that is Paul teaching that a Christian can lose their salvation in this passage, falling away from grace? I say no, not at all. Paul has been arguing all through Galatians that our standing with God is all by faith in Christ alone, and it is what Christ has done that makes us worthy, and nothing I can do to take, can take that away. I do not earn my salvation by my behavior. I cannot unearn my salvation by my behavior. It is all of Jesus and what he has done, and that's why my response is such joy. It's my birthright that I could despise, though, like Esau. And I can 
I can, by my behavior, betray the fact that I actually never was born again in the first place. I can, by my behavior, show that I really don't understand grace or experience grace at all. You see, if, I can, if a Christian, a professing Christian, can, can free fall into sin, if they can be unbridled, cast off, restrained, and just live that double life of free falling into some sin, it shows that though, though they professed Christ, they didn't possess Christ. Because a person that's, that's a follower of Jesus, God will discipline that person. God will not let that person go. And a person that understands grace cannot stay. If you use the skydiving analogy, if a person can free fall towards sin and a life of not pleasing God, they show that they really do not belong to God in the first place. They've been living in false assurance. That's what John talks about in 1 John 2, 19. He says, they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But since they went out from us, they didn't belong to us. They were never believers in the first place, John is saying. And so this is a warning passage. Now according to verse 10 in chapter 5, Galatians, Paul obviously believes that these are Christians. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. He really believes that what they have been simply duped with is some false teaching that is infiltrated, and, and he's confident that they're going to come out of it. In the end, they're going to come out of it. Let's move to our third point this morning, and it's found in, in uh, chapter 5. And um, how will you know if you're living in the freedom of Christ? First of all, I want to say, says, for through the Spirit, verse 5, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So the first sign that you are living in the freedom of Christ is instead of working for righteousness, you're waiting for it. That's what he says. We wait, we wait for the hope of righteousness. And... Uh, no longer are this idea that I've got to live up to a certain standard and live and work for it. Now I'm waiting. And when Jesus appears, my righteousness appears. Right now, where's my righteousness? It's not here with me. It's not in my... We're so earthly bound, we think it's, it's right here. No. Our righteousness is in heaven. At the right hand of the Father. Jesus, the crucified, that paid the debt. My full debt of my entire life has been paid by Christ. He is right now at the right hand of the Father. And every time, perhaps, every time the Father says, hey, ooh, look at Terry. Look what he's doing. Jesus steps up and says, Dad, I covered that one. I've covered that one. He's mine. Oh, of course, that's not the way it goes on, but I'm just saying that's, that's, that's the point, is Jesus has covered. He's, he's finished the work, and he's interceding for me. And when Christ appears... My righteousness will appear with him, and I'll be taken up to live with him forever. That's it. We're waiting for righteousness. We're not working for it. Secondly, our, our, our second fruit of, right, of, of uh, the righteousness or the freedom we have in Christ is that our religion, the circumcision, or our non-religion, uncircumcision, counts for nothing. Verse 6. It no longer means anything. Are you religious? Oh, good. Are you not religious? Oh, good. Whatever. Who cares? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, are you a good religious person or are you a, a non-religious person? Paul says, I don't really care because what counts is faith working itself through love. This is really 
You see, the point is that both camps need Christ. Both camps. The religions, the religious people of this world and the non-religious people of this world, they both need Jesus. So you might be a religious conservative or a non-religious liberal. I don't really care. Paul says, I don't care either. You both need Jesus. You both need Jesus. I got a call yesterday from a, a political survey that said, it's going to be only five minutes. Yeah, right. 20 minutes later. See, see, the point is, I'm not talking about your political persuasion, conservative or liberal. The point is, might likely, likely in this room, most of us lean toward a conservative value system. And the danger is, this is why we're, we're preaching Galatians. Because believe it or not, it is possible that the religious conservative people of this world have a harder time understanding the grace of God than the non-religious liberal people of this world. That's what, that's what Paul's teaching. The problem in Galatian churches was, oh, you're religious and you think you're living a good life and everything's good with God, but you, you've cast Jesus out. You've said, I don't need grace. You're living a deception. You're free-falling into religious delusion. When you pull that ripcord one day, it's not going to open because you haven't been depending on Jesus in this world. And so don't expect to depend on him one day. Many Bible-reading, church-going evangelicals could be very far from grace because they're stuck on their own life of merit. The third fruit of freedom in Christ is they start getting it down deep. When you know you're living in freedom in Christ, you're going to start getting it that only faith counts living itself through love. And you're going to put aside all the other measuring sticks of your religiosity and your rightness with God. The word working is the energy word. It's faith works, not you working. This isn't just double play talk. This is not some kind of out-of-body experience. But your faith works because you can't do it, so faith works. James Reeves has said this. He said, until we come to the end of ourselves, we can't come to the beginning of God. So until you come to the end of your own efforts to try and live the victorious life, the, the life of freedom, the life of joy or whatever, until you come to the end of yourself, you don't start living by faith. And that's where a lot of us are on that journey to that last end of ourselves, aren't we? To live in faith. And then finally, Paul says in verse 7 that you were running a good race. Who hindered you? Who cut in on you, it says literally. And so one of the fourth or the final sign of a freedom in Christ is that we can run the race marked out for us. We can keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we will not let anyone cut us off. We will not let anyone cut us off. I'm not a runner. I don't, <clears throat> I got to have a puck to chase or something like that if I'm going to get exercise. But many of you are runners. Now tell me what, don't tell me, but, but think about it. What? would hinder you from finishing a race that you start. Could be your conditioning, could be an injury, it could be fatigue. Paul says in this passage what, what hinder, is hindering the Galatians from finishing their race is that someone cut them off and they're stumbling. And, and they're going to fall if they stay on this path. Now, I, we can't take the time to look at the rest of it. I just want to conclude by asking you to think about something. I want you to literally think about a sin that you're struggling with. 
in, in these days. And I want to ask you, why do you sin in that way? It's kind of an odd question, but why do you sin that way? What's the motivation? And if you've done the homework, if you get down and, and figure out why it is that you're motivated to sin in that way, it takes work. It doesn't come naturally. You will, you will begin to understand that the thing that's going to kill the motivation that leads you to that sin is, is, is not going to be your own ability. It's going to be joy and gladness in what Jesus has done for you. If you belong to Christ today, you cannot lose your salvation by how you live out your Christian life. You cannot lose your salvation. But you can lose the freedom of experiencing all that God has purchased for you. Part of which is the victory over the very sins that are enslaving you. And the more that you focus and get the love of God down deep in your heart, the more that you understand, the more joy in Him you will have, and that is the joy that will cut at the root of your motive to sin. That is the thing that will, will take away, will knock the legs out of the, the desire to sin. And uh, it's faith that turns into glad obedience instead of dutiful conformity. I'm going to ask that you just stand with me as we conclude our service. And um, Kevin, what's the last song? Do you want to sing it? Come on up. And I, we started a little late, I'm sorry. I, I just think it... I love, I love responding at the end of a, worship, of a, a sermon with, with worship. But can I just pray for you before we, before we sing? Father, Lord, I know that I've been talking a lot here and there's been so much freight to, to, to carry across the bridge into our minds and hearts. And Lord, if, if it isn't your Holy Spirit that carries it there, it's just not going to arrive into a transformational destination. Lord, we pray that you will, you will help us, Holy Spirit, to work these truths down deep into our hearts because it is for freedom, Jesus, that you have set us free. And we don't want to be yoked by another burden of slavery. We don't want to. We want to stand firm. And so, Lord, help us to talk this up, to, to pray this up, to work it through, and to be found more free in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Father, we've just sung about your son, our living hope, and he is living. He is alive. And where we can have life is in him and only in him. So in your mercy, Lord, I pray that you would help us, that we would not be trying to earn life, that we can just rest and receive. And I pray that you would help us to not try to find life, in other places, free-falling into those, those kinds of places, no matter what that is, no matter how good or bad that is looked at by society. But I pray that you would help us to, to continue to find life in your Son, Jesus Christ, for his glory, for our joy and future. And I pray that you bless each one as we go from here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a blessed day.